Okay, so like I said to a few of you that were already here, we've had um, one guest speaker already come in this term, and this is our second. Who do we have here? Hi, I'm Juliet. And what was your um, association with the Learning Connection, Juliet? Um, I came here as a student in 2008. Actually, let me think. Yeah, it was 2008. So it was a part-time student. I was first um, off-campus and then uh, kind of a combination in the end of on-campus and off-campus. And what led you to TLC? Um, I was, um, I suppose, uh, bored with my uh, uh, day job in terms of it. Um, uh, just trying to find, I suppose, something non-academic that gave me an outlet and uh, yeah I've never uh, I, I came in my 30s and I really I suppose spend most of my 20s and high school years doing academic kind of thing science and all that sort of thing so I was kind of interested in doing something completely non-academic and uh, with no um, outcome uh, pressures. Wow and did you find TLC or did TLC find you? I can't remember quite how I got onto the Learning Connection. I think I went to an art gallery and they had the little pamphlets and I picked it up and I had a look at it and then I started, you know, checking it out and came to the um, intro, intro night and, and that sort of thing, yeah. Excellent. How was the, the experience? It was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I dropped my hours back to part-time and did the art school thing part-time. So for half of the week I looked very conservative in a you know, work clothes, and for the other half a week I did the whole hippie goth thing, and really, yeah, and really enjoyed it. It was, it was a chance to um, um, go somewhere and do something where I had no responsibility to just do anything except for what pleased me. And what about outside of TLC? So what was your, what do you do when... Um, my day job is I'm a, I'm a family doctor, a GP, um, so I work... Um, at that stage I was doing a lot of local work, um, so swapping between practices because it meant that I could be quite flexible with my time. Now I'm based in Featherston, I live in Nio in Wellington and I just do the commute. Wow. Yeah. And the time that you spent at TLC, yes. what were your passions and interests? Well, um, I first kind of, when I first started um, I, I just kept it really broad, I took whatever classes were going and um, uh, essentially tried a, a dabbled, tried a little bit of everything. Um, inevitably I, I, I was drawn to portraiture <laughs> and to um, the life drawing and, and so I gravitated towards that um, and ended up doing a mixture of the dry and wet media kind of combined for that. And so um, your recent creative efforts are quite different to those. Yeah, it, it what, kind what of... Um, uh, I was doing the, you know, you do your, your double major and you do, my two minors are kind of combined into photography. And it was really a lazy, a lazy choice. It was just because I'd always done photography and uh, it was kind of hard keeping up the hours. So I thought, oh, I'll do, I'll do photography because I can do that quickly and easily and, and for, you know, make up my hours. Hmm. And uh, I was really unorganised and late for um, putting my name down for all of the photography classes. So I actually never did any photography class this year. But I got into the videography class that was being run by Zoe McIntosh. And I thought, oh yeah, I'll give it a go, why not? <laughs> it, it'll be interesting if anything. 
So I went along to, to that and, and the first exercises um, most students end up doing is music videos. And so um, my husband's into the music side of, of life and so I started doing music videos for a friend's daughter who was a, who is a um, more kind of country folk singer. And that's how I got into this whole film thing was really quite accidentally. I think probably a lot of people can relate to that because we have classes here, we try and get people into their yeah. classes and sometimes they don't get into a class yeah. and they, they, they have a second choice or a third choice and then interesting how that can happen and then where that can go. Yeah, yeah, I mean I was really, I honestly went into the class thinking, yeah I'll just do what I have to do and I'm probably not going to like this very much um, and um, I just absolutely, it just clicked with me, mm. I really enjoyed it, you know, the it's got the visual side, it's got, you know, the storytelling side, and yeah, it, um, and, and, and um, so I did that for, I think, two semesters. At the end of that, um, I decided, yep, this is what I want to do. So the following year, I switched to the local film school on Vivian Street and did the, the year course there, and then it went from there. And how was that? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I think I was the oldest person there, um, and... Uh, it, it's an industry-based course, so it's not really focused on the creative side at all. Um, you do exercises and you have to make up your own projects, so you get to be creative, but it's not about that so much as learning what the different set jobs are, making sure you know what the roles are, and giving you a chance to um, get a bit of a flavour for it, with the target being that you're industry ready to start working on the set, you know, in the junior positions. The creative side of that was um, they do music videos and still photography kind of uh, exercises, a whole range of different ones. And so you have to put together your own short films and so forth. So you, by default, um, I went into it thinking I was going to get into cinema photography, you know, just kind of a natural progression from the photography. And inevitably, you had to write your own short film script. And that's when I discovered I really enjoyed the writing and uh, it, it just. It, it was something that gave me a real buzz. Um, and they, let, they don't let you direct um, your own um, scripts, probably because you, um, it would be madness. Yeah. And there would be too many tantrums. So uh, um, I got to direct somebody else's script and somebody else got to direct my script. And that's when I discovered that I'm a control freak and I don't want anyone directing my own script. So I decided, okay, well, I better learn how to direct and so from going into it wanting to do cinema photography I ended up screenwriting and doing the directing side of it. Wow. Yeah, so it's, yeah, so I came into the learning connection thinking I'll do painting and drawing and ended up there. I catch up with a lot of people at the end of their program. It's amazing how many people veer. Mm. They, they intend to do this and they go that way, you know, so yeah. really interesting in your experience. Yeah. And so something pretty exciting has happened recently for you. How yeah. did that come about? Well, um, quite accidentally again, um, I graduated from the film school at the end of 2009 and it was fortuitous. Um, the lady that was running the technical side of the school was interested in, 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 in pushing more her career in photography. So we paired up and we said, okay, let's do a short film together. I'll write it and direct it and you shoot it. And the relationship worked well because it's a very collaborative field and inevitably you have to find people you can work with because um, you can't fly solo for it. And then the Film Commission launched, launched Escalator which is a 
micro-budget talent development thing and you put in your free story ideas and if you get selected you go to boot camp and they start whittling you down. And so we went along to the launch and thought, oh, you know, how hard can it be? Let's give it a go. And we put in our thing and we got into the boot camp and as it progressed we got right through to the end and we got, we, by the end of 2010 we got greenlit for funding. Fantastic. Yeah, so that was quite good. And what was that funding? Um, 250,000. Yeah. Yeah. Which, when you start out, honestly, our eyes are big. We're so friggin' naive. We yeah, yeah. You know, we've got no, no fucking idea. Yeah. And uh, we don't. We really don't. Yeah. And so we really, you know, you big eyes, oh wow, imagine what we could do for 250. And then you start working out how expensive it is to make a movie. And, uh, and you start getting really clever about, well, how do you pull off? Because we had a big idea. It was very ambitious. It was sci-fi. And uh, um, part of the process of the script writing was, working out, was writing for the budget. Mm, wow. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times, I think, for, for a lot of screenwriting, they, you know, they say, you just, just go for it and, and write whatever you want. Um, and don't worry about the budget. But, I mean... It actually pays to write for the budget when you're going for funding. Mm, makes sense. And um, I think people are probably quite curious about sort of what oh. happened. Oh, okay. So um, um, we we picture wrapped at the end of 2011. We sound and post wrapped the whole thing in May, the beginning of May, May this year. Which sounds like a really long process, but you know, for micro budget, it, it is quite rapid. I mean, a lot of movies take five years for the script to get done, and Lord knows how long to finish the movie and actually show it. So, it is quite a fast process when you're going through this kind of um, micro budget talent development initiatives. Mm. And we managed to get two screenings um, in Wellington at the local museum uh, screening of the film festival. So that was really quite good, but mortifying sitting down and watching it with an audience. Wow. And, um, and last week we won the Screenwriters Award for the Best Feature Film and for the New Writers Award. Wow. Yeah, so we, we cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was really exciting. That, that was quite good. Yeah. It's acknowledged. Yeah, well, it's, it, it helps for, because inevitably, um, if you want to make a career out of it, you got to try to move up the food chain. What's the film called? Existence, very existential. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a post-apocalyptic drama, basically. Yeah. You've got a little bit with you for us to get um, I've got so. I've got some stills which will help kind of talk through yeah, different so. experiences on the film, and I've got the teaser trailer. Excellent. So I don't know if you want to do the teaser trailer first. Yeah. 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 Nice. Just context. People could close curtains and. Uh, The sound's probably not going to work too well with the mics, but... They can post the link.
that's it. Oh! So yeah, so I suppose one thing that we did is we, we did something similar to what um, uh, Robert Rodriguez did when he first started out in Mexico and he had 8,000 Mexican dollars and he found out everything that he could access from his friends and his family and then he wrote a script to suit and, and we did the same thing. We took the Macra Hills, which you probably recognise because you lived out there, and the wind turbines and the World War II bunkers and we, and we were going to work with the predator defence at Karori but they had too many restrictions about how close you could have a horse to defence so we ended up building a practical fence. But in any case, we took the elements in the environment and we wrote a story for it. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. So it was the environment that really dictated Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we knew that we could only afford to film in a few locations. They had to be close to each other. So we took what we could do and we adapted a story to it. Mm, we have only got, for example, um, we've got a very minimal cost, very little extras. We've got one, two, three, four, basically five, five adults and two children that are telling the story. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And there's kind of limitations with, you know, what kind of movie you can make for that. So it ends up being more focused on atmosphere and mood and, you know, um, because you can't get a great deal of coverage because you've only got a limited money to film it in a short period of time, you end up with a much slower movie. Um, and so we, we knew what we were kind of faced with going into it. So a lot of the pre-production stuff was, well, how do you make it that flavour work for for the story, so did you make it a, try to make it a strength? Yeah. So I, mean, I noticed the lighting was very quite strong. Yeah, um, I mean the interesting thing about about the um, filming conditions is we filmed in April, May, and um, and the gale. It, it, it was a bad winter. It was a lot of gales, a lot of fog, and most of the time we were working in really bad conditions, and uh, we were freezing our asses off half of the time but fortunately it, it atmospherically wise it worked really well because we wanted to film in winter when we didn't have any blue skies because it's post-apocalyptic you can't have a blue sky and we can't afford to rotor out the sky so hmm. we had winter and, and then there were times where we would film a scene and, and we had like oodles of dialogue it was a climac climatic scene and sh stuff was going to go down and and we've only got half the morning to film that scene and that's it, you, we've got no money to do pickups and it's a gale. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? So you got very good at making sure you knew exactly what that scene's story beat was because you're never going to get a chance to get that beat again mm -hmm. and working with the actors to pull it off without any dialogue and, and with uh, uh, rapid uh, throwing out of shot lists and storyboards because that's not going to work. Yeah, so in, inevitably the story you wrote, the story you shot, and the story you, you edited, it goes through many changes. Mm. And the trick is to end up with what you were essentially thematically after. Mm. Do you have to pull the actors back in post-production for things like dialogue? Yeah, we had to do quite a bit of ADR purely because of the uh, wind conditions. I mean, you know, we were mad. We decided to film a movie on a wind farm. <laughs> so.
So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we did have a bit of ADR. Um, we did voiceover in the end. Um, uh, and we created um, the subtitles you saw. We created a dialect. Um, so I contacted two linguists at Massey University at Palmerston. And essentially how we worked is we wanted the writers to have a completely different language to create cultural barriers. You know, I live one side of the fence, you live the other. We don't know what's on each other's side because no one talks because they can't speak the language. So how we would work, we'd write the dialogue for what we wanted in English. And after we did the preliminary kind of brief with the linguists, they'd take that and they'd make up the language. And then um, in pre-production during rehearsal time, we sat down with the actors and we started playing with the pronunciation and what sounded good, what didn't sound good, that sort of stuff. Um, we wanted to go into it with no subtitles at all because subtitles cost money. Um, so we wanted to make a dialect of, of New Zealand English for a prediction of where you would go in the future so that when the actors spoke in the dialect after a while you start picking up what they're saying without needing um, subtitles. But inevitably we uh, had to find money to get subtitles. Yeah, and then that was uh, an. Al I mean, one interesting thing about the post-production experience is, um, you you um, by by the time you get to post-production, you've really got very little money left, and if you want to finish the film, you've got to find that really creative ways to. Mm, yeah, and you've got to find creative ways of of of, of solving those solutions because we obviously kind of budgeted for post-production, but on the shoot stuff went down and. To even get the footage, we had to, you know, we had to pull money. We had our lead actor, who spends a majority of the time on horseback, break his arm the night before shoot, and then, you know, every and every kind of thing that you do creatively, decisional banking wise, has got consequences. So, you know, we decided that this actor was amazing for the role, knew exactly what we were after for the character. We want him. So how did? So we're just going to write in that he breaks his arm and go with it and put him on, you know, <laughs> put, uh, amazing, yeah, make, make it work. Yeah. What happens when paint spills everywhere on your face yeah. and yeah. you're that creative mindset? You fix it. You, you, yeah. yeah, you just go with it. And, and it worked well because he he's a character that is broken, so broken arm goes well for the symbolism stuff. And, but it meant that we had to spend money on a horse riding double. So stuff happens. Yeah. Money goes. It's an expensive thing to get into, unfortunately, for them. Emotionally? What was it like during the film? Um, I, think, I think, fortunately, I've spoken to a few directors afterwards, so I don't feel completely alone in saying that the shoot is the most single horrific experience. Pre-production and post-production is not quite as traumatic, but the shoot is a very short part of the f um, filmmaking process. It's, funnily enough, um, such a small chunk of the time and the shoot is, 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 is hard because, generally speaking, if you want to go down the directing pathway, unless someone is happy to uh, get you to do commercials or whatever, or you do your own shorts, you spend less time than anyone else on set. So in terms of being fish out of water, I think, yeah, you're probably the, the most fish out of water of the lot of them. And, uh, and that can be challenging. Um, yeah, it's stressful. It's awfully stressful. So, you know, I went into the whole art path thinking of finding an outlet that's not stressful and inevitably I, I'm my own worst enemy. I, I pick something that's stressful. <laughs> yeah. So, 
emotionally you can be you can have it that way. What about when you win the that, award or you yeah. look at the film on screen of hundreds of people? It seems it, like? it seems to be quite bipolar. It seems to be quite extremes. You get really good highs and really good lows, and on a week-to-week -week basis, in the peak of it, you'll have a success that sends you on cloud nine, and then you'd have a failure or a disappointment that sends you down again, and you kind of find your way through that by by not by taking the middle middle road for either one, because I think you can get caught up um, in some of the the good stuff and the hoo-ha, and either become intolerable as a person or just not get on with work. Because the thing is, it's always about well, where are you going to go next? So you know, in terms of knuckling down and writing the next script, you've got to clear your head a lot. And, and during this process, were you still working at the yeah, same time? Uh, yeah, I, I stopped work three weeks before the shoot um, and four weeks of the shoot. And a week after the shoot, I had to go back to work and, you know, mortgage and all and bills. Um, I made no money out of the whole thing, you know. In fact, I probably um, was out of pocket a lot for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I had to keep working. So I'd go from four days a week and I'd chip it down to three days a week and then I'd chip it down to two days a week and, yeah, you just make ends meet. You know how Robert used his body for medical research to get the money together? Oh, yeah, I heard about that, yeah. It's in his book. He's, he wrote, wrote a very good book about you yeah. know, making the film. Um, you didn't have to do anything that's extreme, did you? No, and I didn't have to... <laughs> <laughs> anyone either. Um, no, there was no casting couch, thank God, and <laughs> probably we finished it at that. And uh, no, no medical research. I mean, I mean, fortunately, the commission at that stage was doing this whole thing about training people up, trying to move people from short forms into features. So, um, in terms of development support, they were fantastic. Have they stopped that now? Um, this is the last year, the last intake, and I don't know what they're going to do next. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, with the film thing, you work with producers, so in terms of uh, the money wrangling and, uh, and uh, wooing and uh, um, begging and so forth, a lot of that is, 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 is under the wing of the producers, which is great because um, in many ways, the more you get caught up with that side of things, the less you're doing your own job. Uh, and, and to do your own job, the amount of clarity and, and focus you need to get that story right and get the characters and the shots right. If you were also caught up, especially at the early stage when you're still learning, caught up and worrying about trying to get that extra bit of money to pull it off, um, I think you'd go insane, go mad. And you'd probably cry a lot. <laughs> so what keeps you, what keeps the desire going? to do things, even though it can be quite intense? Um, I don't know, like, I mean, I suppose halfway through last year, I, I did go through a period where I honestly thought had to do some soul searching for, do I actually want to do this? Because honestly, the cost of it versus the reward at that stage was, was slanted. And, and um, uh, going into another script and another project, the amount of chunk of your life it takes, and hopefully if you can move up the budget tree, chain and get more money to make a film, you know, it's going to take up an even bigger chunk of your time, investment like years, so you've got to decide that do you actually want to do film and um, is it worth it? Um, I don't know the answer to that but I'm mad enough to go for it again. Yeah. <laughs> What's well, like in your creative field? 
you know, the amount of energy that can go into the art, yeah. whether it's going to pay off, you don't know. So it's like a very trusting exercise yeah. in yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you kind of, the hard, the hard part is if when you've got a story idea and you've been working on the characters and you love it and you think this is genius and you just keep getting knocked back. And, then, and, and the, the one thing I've discovered is for 10 ideas you put in for financing, whether it's shorts or whatever, you know, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, they're going to say no. And then you have to start getting clever about, well, how am I going to get my yes? Because it's other people's money. Someone has to give you the money. Mm. And so I think that, that's the hard part. Um, uh, because it is an expensive thing that you could get knocked back for years um, uh, before you either get a story idea that somebody would fund or you're lucky enough to find some very creative ways of funding it. I mean, now you've got crowdfunding and all those sort of Get things. Which Peter Jackson in the party and ask for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you are holding out your hand to somebody else, and and the trick of it is, they, you know, if someone's going to put a lot of money into something, they want to know they're going to get it back. And when you're starting out and inexperienced and you haven't got a lot of um, stuff, you know, you're an investment risk. Images oh, yeah, I've got photos. Um, I've got photos. We're do some type of site projection of the images. That'll be fantastic. And then we can just open it up to anyone who's got questions. And oh, make um, us down the side. But yeah, it's the filmmaker will make the money when they're alive. The famous artists make their money after they die. <laughs> you just got to get have kids that are very, very grateful. <laughs> now I'm not sure how this computer works. Also, oh. And where can people see the film, Julia? Nowhere. I can't even see it. No. <laughs> no. At this stage, it is at the festival pimping stage. So, um, in other words, um, we're still trying to attach a distributor. We've got a sales agent, and at the moment, we're trying to get into the fantasy festivals. And um, and uh, and essentially, it's such a long road. It seems to take quite a while to each of these stages. Um, not sure because I honestly Cause they show it. I honestly have been um, what do I do? Oh okay. I honestly try to stay outside of that stuff because it can be very disheartening and kind of uh, for my side of the job because it is a very collaborative thing and there's so many people involved. You've got to let your producers do what they do and it's their, you know without taking over or becoming too much of a pain in their ass because that, you know, that, that's why you've got so many different roles in making a film. Everyone's got their area of expertise. And I find for my own sanity, I, I'd I prefer to stay out of the um, sales part of it. Um, yeah. Because my yeah, focus... Most of us artists would prefer yeah. to stay out of the sales part. Musicians yeah. have managers, you know, there's <laughs> dealer yeah. galleries. It's interesting the approach that an artist or anyone creative can have. Yeah, you can, you can get involved as much as, or as little as you want, but... You know, Click on that little um, square and be able to um, this get rid one? of the surrounding noise. Oh, cool. And pause whenever you want. Oh, does it uh, slideshow? I think yeah. I just pressed one photo, so I might have stuffed this up. No, that's right. Shit for oh, there we go. So these are some publicity shots, you know, the pretty pictures of different parts of the movie. 
Um, Freya, our lead character, is um, Lauren Tyler uh, X Horsley from Eagle vs. Sharks. We were very lucky with our casting. Uh, we managed to get the dream cast. Um, yeah, uh, Matthew Sunderland from Out of the Blue. He was our broken armed rider. <laughs> and this is Gareth, who plays the husband. So these are kind of, um, you get a set photographer who in between does the, oh, how do I pause? Uh, uh, space bar. Oh. And then you can use lift and right. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Nice. So you can go on that square again and then you can just press. Yeah, so, um, so the set photographer yeah. takes the photos for the publicity on set um, and you, you can do screen grabs but they, they're often not mm quite as atmospheric as the stills, which is really interesting because I quite, I quite like stills, uh, you know, from stills background, which probably reflects that the film that I shot for my first go is, is got more of a graphic novel kind of feel to it in terms of keyframes. Um, concept art, a um, big part of trying to get money for something. Um, the whole idea of the film was that they live in um, the future and they don't know what half the crap is that washes up on the beach. So. Um, at the end of the movie, he plays a, a vinyl record. Um, and so the, um, this is our T-shirt design. It was going to be in the movie. It was going to be on the jacket of the vinyl record that they found on the beach. But unfortunately, we had an inexperienced um, art, art uh, assistant who uh, you're supposed to destroy to make it look really old. And she did too good a job. You couldn't tell what it was. Oh. <laughs> Stuff like that would happen, you know. What can you do? If you had loads of money, um, you'd uh, do it again, but we didn't. Um, the poster. Um, concept art for when we were going for funding. Um, uh, the artist was, um, it was nipped Oh, that's another, ah, whatever. Concept art. So this is before the movie was even written. Um, already kind of trying to get a visual representation of the idea to pitch it as a story. Um, and I mean I've worked with a couple of concept artists now for pitches and it's quite a cool process. Um, you're often very surprised at what comes back. So you normally when I brief it I, I'm, I'm quite specific but, um, but try to be loosey-goosey so that you don't make somebody get so locked into a corner that they don't get their own creative juices flowing and give you an image that. Um, so generally how it works, um, most recently I've been working for Skype with someone who works in Germany for a, um, a little uh, storyboard that I was going that I'm using to pitch my next film idea. And so how, how the artist works, you, you give them the synopsis or a scene, you tell them the keyframes that you want for the images, they go back and they do a rough of, of the drawings and, and, and then you sit on Skype or in person and, and, and um, feedback what you like and don't like and they go away and, and they do the finals. And the story concept um, part is, is quite fun, I think, to get into as an artist. It's quite enjoyable. What's the question there? This one is Nick... Um, McGowan, Nick McGowan, uh, he's Wellington based and the fellow I'm working with at the moment, can't remember his surname, 
can't pronounce it very well, somebody called Dieter. And it was a connection through um, a local um, uh, visual effects artist. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, inevitably you kind of try to work with local people, but Dieter was just a connection of someone who could do what I was after. Um, these are on set photos when we were filming up at the wind farm. The fog, the gales, the wind. It's quite crazy. It was like five layers of clothes. The horses, um, they weren't trained movie horses. The farm that runs the cattle and the sheep on the wind farm had uh, the daughter has some pet horses. So we used her pet horses. <laughs> the main horse is a show pony. The second horse that we used is an extra uh, pacer. Um, so that, that created challenges working with um, non-movie horses. Um, these are kind of, um, some of this is pre-photos that you do as part of your um, location hunting. We couldn't afford a location scout or manager, so it was pretty much me on foot going around Wellington and taking test shots of landscapes trying to work out what's going to look cinematic and that we can actually access. This is the inside of the World War II bunker, which ended up being an incredible set because we didn't have to dress it very much except for the um, furniture and so forth. The biggest challenge we had is we were in a dead world with green grass. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of that ended up being done in post-production for um, the grader. And grading is great fun. I love grading as a potential. Um, I think art department grading is some of the, the most fun in terms of what you can start off with and what you can end up with. For example, like this is the image that we started off with and it's green and lush. And by the time the grader was done with it, it was dark and dismal and depressing, which was great. Um, this is up at Belmont. They've got like 60 World War II storage bunkers and off the capity. So yeah, I mean, I think um, part of kind of what you do is 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 you're trying to um, because you're working with different HO heads of departments, the art director, the the production designer, the cinema photographer. Oh, the, uh, the costume designer, you've got so many people that you're trying to get a uniform concept so that the vision of the film across each of the specialties um, is congruent and communicating it visually is probably the most effective way of doing it, whether you get photos that you take yourself or you get stuff off the net and, and, um, and you start. Yeah, and then the next tricky thing is getting them together and uh, and this, uh, I kind of liken it to the directing job as a conductor of all these different people playing instruments in separate rooms and you're trying to get them to all play the same tune and hopefully not disagree too much with each other or with you. Did it work most of the time? No, no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, that was a challenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's It's... Um, I can see why people who manage to make a career out of film work with the same people again and again because you start, you know, it's like a marriage, you know, you've got your dating period and you don't really know what you're going to end up with. <laughs> you know they're cute and you like what they look like. <laughs> and then you kind of, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get into a relationship <laughs> with them, you go through your three-year 
fighting phase and then you're seven year eight you know it's just it's a it's like a marriage yeah. Walking in different yeah yeah so the relationships at work you continue on with and the ones that you know didn't work so well you move on mm. so what's your next project oh my next one is a uh, sci-fi again I seem to gravitate that way and it's a um, it's basically an, an action adventure I wanted to move because with existence, you know, it's quite slow and atmospheric, and so it's kind of like an. I think someone described it as a. It's art house in, in, in genre costume. So my my because I you know I want to move along. The next step is to do a fast-paced action adventure, violent sci-fi that is. Um, uh, it's got more production costs, and hopefully someone will give me money to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Often it's about building a folio or you know of images, and once it builds up, you start to get a bit of a following at scenes, and then hopefully, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, you finding work works starts to find you. Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful about getting um, a lot of a lot of directors say that, you know, whatever their first movie is is what they're going to be expected of forevermore, mm. um, and and not getting um, trapped into into that yourself to think that. It, You've got to make one kind of movie. I mean, I probably would never do comedies. I'll probably do stuff that is more... Sci-fi. Yeah, or, or <laughs> depressive. Um, um, I might do dark comedies. That would be a lot of fun. But, yeah, yeah, you do tend to, I think, early on get... Um, yeah, so you, I think part of that is... is it's safer bet if somebody is willing to put money into your movie when they can see what you've done before that's very similar so they know that you can pull it off. If you're doing something completely the opposite, you were doing post-apocalyptic drama, now you're doing a, a slapstick comedy, they'll probably be a bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you're not funny. <laughs> you can put a bit of slapstick in your dialogue. Yeah, di yeah, dialogue's a tricky thing. Uh, yeah, they yeah. call that comedy relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're running pretty much right to time, so um, <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic that you're able to come in and share what you do. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, watch the space. <laughs> <laughs>